everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm Carolyn April. And as always, I'm looking for my best buddy out there, Seth Robinson. Seth. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. Hanging in there. It's a beautiful spring day here in New Hampshire. Uh, so I'm taking some solace in that, given our weird times and everything's blooming. Loving that. So I've taken a lot of pictures out of my yard of uh, various things. Uh, dogwood has bloomed and other, other things. And I'm becoming um, oddly into fauna <laughs> flora and fauna so how are you good uh one of my spring traditions is dual birthdays you know my daughter had her birthday a couple of weeks ago and my son's is coming up on saturday and, and you know we navigated the first one pretty well and he's turning 17 so you know he isn't looking for you know a big party he already knows you know what he wants for dinner and you know we'll get him a cake and do stuff but uh, you know, it's you, you, it's on your mind, and you gotta gotta take care of the birthday for the kids. So. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about my daughter's graduation, which isn't happening. So I gotta figure out some sort of fake graduation that we can do here at the at the house in a few weeks. But what are they doing through the school? Like, are they doing anything virtual, or have they postponed? I, I have gotten no notification of them. They're, I think they're still considering. They've can't. I mean, they've moved graduation. There is going to be one till late July. But yeah, my, my daughter's already been shrugging her shoulders at that she'll be ready to go to college then so yeah um so you know i don't know we'll wait and see it's it's weird times i told her you will always have a cocktail party story you're the covid kid you know you, right. you graduated from high school during this weirdness but yeah everyone else has the same graduation you know these kids are lucky they've got a story to tell yes so. they do They'll always have One a story to, to pull out, out of their pocket so we are uh very lucky today to have a guest uh, who is a, an industry vet. Uh, he has been around for a long time and I've known him for a long time. So I'm excited to introduce him to Bali today. And that is Frank Tegliano. He is the, currently the CEO of Global Technology Distribution Council, otherwise known as GTDC, which is what most people use that acronym when they're talking about the association. And Frank's got a, a storied career uh, he's worked at major uh, vendors, including IBM, Dell, Juniper. He also ran his own uh, solution provider business. Uh, so he's got done the gamut of things that are what we would consider channel-centric. So I want to welcome Frank. Frank, hello. Hey, good to be here, Carolyn and Seth. I heard you guys chit-chatting a little bit up front about <laughs> spring traditions. I I, I, I miss baseball. That is that is to me the ultimate spring tradition, and uh, I am struggling. Uh, I'm getting tired of watching games from uh, uh, 1996. Oh yeah, the sports that the sports thing is rough. It's rough. I, I admit. I hope you're. I hope you're still a Red Sox fan, Frank. Oh, I am. In fact, I just get to. I just got through watching for the. I don't know how many times the 2004 game four. Um, of again. the of the Yankee series where they came back, I, I, two days ago I watched it again. <laughs> oh, that was uh, great. I remember I was at a uh, at an exchange event when that was going on, and so we were there in, in San Diego. You may have been there actually for three days, and and every night those games were on, and so we were trying to get our business out of the way as quick as possible so we could go to the bar and watch the uh, watch the game. It was it was crazy, and you had you know a division of New Yorkers and Boston people that were there. It was it was, it was a nutty series. I was there, and I remember it well. <laughs> Back in the old days when we could watch baseball and go to meetings together. <laughs> yes, that's true. 
Uh, well, that, that gets us into, I suppose, the, the, the elephant in the room topic. And uh, I'm curious, as you work with distribution members in, in your association and are listening to what they've got to say about how things are, business is working right now in the COVID-19 days, um, you know, what are you, what are you hearing? What are you thinking? What are, what are some of the companies that are in your membership um, telling you? Yeah, well, the first thing, the first thing that was really interesting is they they had to figure out how to operate within their companies in ways that were ensured that their employees stayed safe and their employees were in an environment that everybody was comfortable with. And so, you know, the first major transition, and if you know distribution, you, you can and you've been to the distributors, you, you kind of can, can see this. Typically, they've had, you know, inside salespeople, inside technical support people in these massive rooms with hundreds and hundreds of people and desks, maybe six feet apart, but I'm not sure. <laughs> um, that was sort of part of the, the, the allure to it. It was just, it was exciting. It was just a lot going on. And they'd have vendor days and vendors would be there and other folks would be participating. And, of course, all that had to change. And so they quickly transitioned to work at home. And so that was the first major piece. So all the folks that worked in DISTE that were inside support folks, whether sales support, you know, et cetera, technical support, all went home, which, you know, in, in our environment isn't a big deal um, from a technology standpoint. They're all technology people. So they, you know, they could make that transition. But it was a big transition psychologically because you know typically that wasn't the environment and they did that they did that quickly and efficiently and the way it should have been done in terms of taking care of people but the second thing that was a little bit more challenging were there are a number of people within distribution that can't work from home right these are the warehousing folks the integration folks the folks that have to actually be engaged physically touching product physically making sure the product flows so they had to deploy a number of measures there to make sure those folks could still operate. And, you know, they started doing things that I think are fairly traditional now, <laughs> uh, you know, temperature checking. Uh, they had, they were careful as to how they uh, had their shifts coming and going so that there weren't a lot of extra people where you didn't need a lot of extra people. And of course, all of the social distancing things that we're deploying now in our day-to-day -day lives had to be deployed, you know, as part of their, their work effort. But they did that well, they did that efficiently, and kind of before you know it, distribution is, was kind of up and running, helping keeping the IT supply chain going, which is something that they've been doing for lots of years. Frank, you just mentioned supply chain. I'm curious to hear your take on what you've seen with the supply chain globally uh, during this time, because we got some questions right when this was starting from our members about, you know, what's going to happen with supply chain. And I think those questions came because this whole thing started in China and they were the first country to be disrupted. And all of us know that a lot of the manufacturing is running through China. And we feel like we didn't see quite as much disruption in the supply chain as people might have been imagining. But I'm curious to hear your take on it and what, what you and, and some of your the companies that you work with saw. Yeah, um, well, that's exactly right, Seth. We, we really didn't. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> it, it really is when you look at it. The first thing that was significant here is there's always four to six weeks of inventory in any supply chain 
right? Even even though over years, as we've gotten more sophisticated with just-in-time, you know, inventory capabilities, et cetera, in the, in the physical distribution world, and that's what we're kind of talking about initially, in that world, there's always four to six weeks. So depending on when we think this thing, you know, kind of really started, but let's assume it was, you know, in the mid to late February timeframe, there was enough inventory to get, get folks through March. And, and arguably, in some cases, even through early April. And the bigger question was the demand. And was the demand going to hold? And the answer was, ultimately, it did. But it shifted to things that were required to support work from home activities, as opposed to what you, know, you and I would call normal business you know, data center uh, uh, expansions uh, or um, or things like that. The work from home piece really became significant, and there was enough inventory in the channel. I'll use that kind of generic term to last for you know four to six weeks. And and then what's happened since then is we're now seeing and have seen for a couple of three weeks even the facilities in China kind of ramping back up again and products starting to flow out. And so the process of all of that has, has kind of mitigated what we would have expected to have been a you know, huge drop. So the overall revenue has stayed pretty reasonable over that period, but it's been a, a change in mix. And I think distribution has done a tremendous job ensuring that that all flowed and part of that, you know, is because they've got such great relationships, you know, with their vendors and have been doing this with their vendors for so long that, um, you know, that they kept it from becoming a huge void in the market where just people couldn't get anything. That's actually great news. Um, I'm curious if that trickled down to the sol- solution provider level. So if distribution has been able to keep its supply chain moving along, Normally, and as you well know, the, the typical solution providers are very small business. So, uh, you know, I wonder, I've, I've talked to some anecdotally, but I, I, I wonder how much they're hurting right now, or if this is a good sign that they've been able to keep the supply chain flowing. And um, it, it obviously comes down to customer demand for them as well. But uh, any, any insights on that? Yeah, Carolyn, you know, it, it depends. A lot of that depends on the, on the type of practices um, and the kind of business that the solution providers are in, right? And so obviously um, the MSPs and folks that have a portion of their business that's MSP or MSP-like, because everybody's got you know a version of it, and that's just about 100% of the partners have some version of that. Most of that has stayed intact and has become, in fact, if anything, more critical you know, than it's ever been. Because in a lot of cases, they are supporting, uh, you know, remote workplace capabilities. So that piece hasn't been impacted except in one area, which I'll talk about in a minute. But the typical, you know, MSP, uh, typical solution provider who probably has, let's say, 60 to 70 percent of their businesses is what we would call hardware oriented. You know, the traditional buy it, sell it, get an invoice, you know, et cetera, Mm -hmm. out and then collect collect dollars for that over a 30 to 60 day period, there has been impact there depending on the practice. So I would tell you that I don't think there's a lot of big physical deployments taking place 
I think folks needed laptops. I think folks needed small servers. Um, I think folks needed collaboration capabilities and physical devices associated with that and the whole work from home piece. But in those partners that support that, I think we're able to kind of, you know, have been able to kind of get through this reasonably well. I think there are some partners, though, whose practices are really suffering right now. uh, And it's just because there are major decisions that maybe aren't related to digital transformation that aren't being made. They're putting they're being put on hold. And, And I think at some point that's going to change. And we will see that come back. But I think there's probably been some impact there with storage devices and high-end servers and things like that. Yeah, I think I think we're looking at the same thing too. That that we feel like a lot of the strategic moves that companies were planning to make as they went through digital transformation have been put on hold. But it's probably going to come back uh, quite strong because those companies that are going through this. And, and maybe their business model is aligned to some of the needs of society during this time, they're still able to advance their digital transformation and in some ways accelerate it. Uh, and then everyone else who makes it through this is going to have to catch up pretty quickly. Um, so I wanted to shift a little bit to that discussion. Uh, and, and maybe a starting point for it is even thinking about the past five or so years uh, where there was just this real shift into cloud services and into solutions that used software. Uh, and, and a lot of that didn't necessarily play into the world that you've been describing as being based on physical distribution. Uh, but I, I think that we're seeing that even though so many of those solutions are using software more, if you back up a little bit, there are still this huge technology footprint that relies on software along with physical infrastructure, uh, you know, consulting, all of these things go into it. And so thinking about, you know, that, that immediate past, you know, five years or so, what has distribution been, been doing to kind of shift into, you know, this software-based world, cloud-based, and, and maybe thinking about some of the emerging technologies that are coming down the pipe? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Let me let me give you one data point to start with, though, that I I was thinking about as you were as you were talking about kind of the transition and and how people are viewing it right now. There was a recent study that just took place in in April. Uh, Eight hundred and seventy one global CFOs done by uh, PwC Global, and and it was basically asking them, you know, kind of what they thought about what was going to happen going forward, what their biggest fears were, but then secondly, how they were thinking about investments as it related to digital transformation, which is you know, clearly an area that's critical. And about 70% of the CFOs felt like their number one fear was that COVID-19 would probably result in some kind of a global recession, uh, hopefully not a depression, but certainly a recession. But only 18% of them said they plan to defer or cancel their investments. Um, and in fact, almost half of them said they felt like they'd accelerate their investments for automation projects and other initiatives so that they could continue to change the way their companies work because it's clear that that was going to be needed. And I thought that was a very, very interesting point, which, which I think bodes well for the entire 
channel, uh, you know, that plays in this space, but clearly distribution for a number of reasons. One is distribution has participated in a number of different ways in the cloud. And I see that continuing. So I see as the opportunity continues and as, as cloud becomes more important, and I think what we've just gone through for the last six, eight, 10, 12 weeks has highlighted how yeah. important that's going to be, right? I mean, it's just incredible. I, and we're seeing it everywhere in our daily lives. I'll give you one quick, small anecdote. We moved into our current house about 10 years ago. We had all old technology, you know, televisions. We, we didn't have any smart TVs. And my wife was kind of like driving me nuts over, we, we got to get, um, <laughs> you know, we got to get Netflix. <laughs> we got to get Hulu. We got to get, I'm like, oh, great. So we recently went, and in the midst of all this, we we got you know some new technology that I probably wouldn't have gotten. And now I'm a faithful Netflix subscriber. I signed up for Hulu. I'm looking at Google TV. I'm, I mean, I'm doing things that I never thought we would do, <laughs> and and it's all based on cloud technology and 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 digital transformation. And so that's going to continue, and that's personal, right? But in the business world. The distributors have been making investments for years now, and I think they're starting to get, you know, really well positioned. So they've all launched cloud business units. So every one of them, particularly the major ones, have cloud business units. They're sharpening their technical skills with their folks because it's more than about just having a marketplace. It's you've got to have the technical skills and the capabilities to actually you know, articulate the value of the various products, et cetera. And they're recruiting new vendors and new partners. And that today they're generating billions of dollars of business from cloud and digital services. The last couple of years, it's grown at big rates, particularly relative to distribution, you know, kind of rates. So in 2019 versus 2018, it was up cloud and digital business was up 32%. And, you know, their physical business is, is in the single digits usually. And so clearly, though, you know, the footprint is still much bigger, but it's, it's happening. And I think there's huge opportunities. There's huge opportunities in multi-vendor coordination services. So as long as we're going to have a typical solution to, that has 15, 20, in some cases, 30 different you know, kind of technologies associated with it, somebody has to be the integration point for that. Somebody has to be the consolidation point for that. And it's not necessarily the solution provider anymore. Some cases it is, but what the solution providers are transitioning their business to do is more along the services and the consulting support kind of uh, businesses where the margins are much better. So distribution plays a huge role in the coordination piece of it financial support. It's really interesting what's happening. I mean, you would expect dis distributors from day one, because it's such a core competency to be able to provide basic financial capabilities, uh, floor planning, and they do that. And they've been doing that for years. But as a result of what's going on in the marketplace with digital transformation, they've come up with a number of non-traditional, sophisticated financing programs that really help enable partners to do a number of different things. I'll give you one anecdote from my time as a solution provider executive. 
anytime a customer would come to me and ask me if I could help them in an area where I didn't currently have a practice, whether it was IoT, whether it was uh, AI, whether it was in some cases just cloud deployment or cybersecurity, your answer always is of course. It has to be of course. Because if it isn't, of course, that customer is going somewhere else <laughs> to, to, mm-hmm. get, to see who can help them. So once I did that, then I had to step back and say, how in the world can I do this? And the typical solution provider, and Carol, and I know you know this world you know, pretty well and you talk to a lot of these folks, the typical solution provider does not have the ability right now to make major investments and major bets across every mm-hmm emerging technology space because they're hard to make and they all require smart, reasonably experienced technical resources that are expensive to come by and hard to find. So if I was going to go create an IoT practice, for example, as a solution provider, I would go and have the first thing I got to do is go find two or three smart people to become my practice leaders. And over time, I build my practice and the bulk of my practice is consulting related, which means that I build those people's time out and there's got to be, and there could be a, a really nice margin associated with that, but it takes 12 to 18 months to get that business going. And for that period of time, who's going to finance that business? Who's going to help me deploy that? And now multiply it by three or four times when the question comes up for AI or or you know, machine learning or, or something else that's, you know, associated with emerging technology in the marketplace. Distribution has been able to help solution providers do that with pretty innovative financing programs. And I used one and it was really helpful to me. So I took a piece of my reoccurring revenue and essentially sold that off. I got paid for it immediately. And I then invested those dollars in building an incremental practice. There's not many places you can go to in this industry to be able to do that. Bank is not certainly not one of them because they, they don't understand the, the technology. They don't understand the marketplace. They don't understand what we're doing. But you've got distributors that have had long-standing relationships with solution providers, in some cases, 15, 20 years. And those relationships result in the ability to trust each other and has resulted in a level of services that exist that probably wouldn't if they, if, if they weren't in place. So a couple of examples, there are, cl- there are clearly more uh, cloud marketplaces are clearly areas that, you know, there's lots of opportunity, all the provisioning, all the aggregation of the billing, things like that, that distribution traditionally does very, very well is going to bode well for them as we move forward, because we know this is going to continue to grow at, a, at an astounding rate. So uh, I'm just going to build on that. And I think that's a great point that you made there uh, about distribution's role. One of the things that we've seen in the CompTIA research that I've done over the last few years is an increase in partnering among partners. So solution providers yep. filling their skills gaps with uh, especially as we move toward a more software centric world and so very infrastructure hardware focused solution providers don't have uh, skills in that area so they're looking 
to you know build versus buy kind of thing and and what what works best for them so they're starting to partner more we've seen the, this the uh, the percentage of partnering tick up pretty extensively and, and it has to do with emerging technology as well and it always occurred to me that distribution could be a hub for this is like a matchmaker basically so introducing you know this solution provider to this solution provider and i is that something you see going on oh absolutely it's carolyn that's been going on for a long long time but but in more subtle, you know in kind of subtle ways so you didn't always see it but you know many of the distributors have uh, have these smaller kind of SMB networks. Ingram's used to be called Venture Tech. I think it's now TrustX Alliance is what it's called. Um, Synex has has one. Uh, Tech Data has one. Arrow has one. They they all the all the major distributors have them. And one of the things that they do within those networks is they promote exactly what you're talking to. Uh, and they promote it in some cases in a very formal way, where they actually have a kind of a services network where if there's a piece of work that, for example, a solution provider in uh, Texas needs help with, and there's a partner in the Boston area that has the capability and the skills, um, they can help deploy it. And they even go so far as to get billing rates coordinated so that up front, everybody knows exactly what the deal looks like and Mm -hmm. everybody knows you know, who's going to get paid and how they're going to get paid. And you don't get into a lot of uh, disputes that, that are unnecessary. And that will continue and distribution will, will continue to facilitate that. But I also think what's going to happen here is I think distribution will begin to, at some point, uh, pick up some of that and augment the solution providers' capabilities with services and support that they can provide through the solution provider. Um, and the reason that that works is the one thing you've always got when it's partner to partner is you always got the issue of whose customer is it, who's selling to the customer, at what point am I infringing on, you know, sort of my, you know, the, the, the uh, from a competitive standpoint. And, and that doesn't happen with distribution because one of the things that distribution and the distributors have done from day one extraordinarily well is they, they're not confused as to who their customer is. Distributors sell to solution providers. Distributors support solution providers. Solution providers sell to and support end users. And that line doesn't get crossed unless it gets crossed in a cooperative way, meaning that there are, there are some services that distribution has that they could either white label to a solution provider or just provide it to a solution provider. And there's no concern on the part of a solution provider that somebody's infringing on their customer. That's a really, really key point. And mm-hmm. the trust that's required in that is critical, but there's no distributor on the planet that will um, create an issue there uh, because it's just too critical to their business that they adhere to those, you know, those kind of, guidelines and so um so yeah so that that's going to continue i think the partnering piece will continue on both from both aspects well frank it's been a great discussion here i i think that you know obviously this is a chaotic time uh, but as the industry is maturing I think one thing that gets lost in the mix is that the pieces that have maybe been around for a while and and are seen as more traditional 
you know, they're still very involved on, on the cutting edge and they're evolving too. And, and I think people tend to lose that. And, and hearing you discuss all of the dynamics within distribution and within the IT channel just really drives home the point that there's a lot of change ahead as well, uh, even as we come out of, of this COVID time. So uh, here's to happier days ahead and baseball soon. Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And, you know, Seth, just uh, that one point you made is a really important point. We we did a study at GTDC back in October before all of this, and we kind of we titled it Distribution 2025. And the whole idea was to talk about the value that distribution has uh, has historically had the evolution of the services and support and how they've evolved from kind of the PC era uh, when they were just kind of helping vendors get product to market to what we called kind of a services era where they started doing incremental things like, you know, lots of post and pre-sale support. You know, they helped with building a vendor's outreach, you know, in terms of recruiting partners, finding partners, et cetera, to now what we refer to as the digital era. And the point I made was that the foundational items that distribution built from day one, you know, the global logistics, the financing, their ability to get product and services to market, that operational excellence will remain. And those foundational elements that they built will enable them to make the transition into, you know, the next wave, whatever it is. And it's been enabling them forever, right? Because as long as I've been around, which is quite some time, distribution was going to be disintermediated by the next big thing. And guess what? Not only has it not happened, but they've actually prospered, you know, during these times. And I would argue, if you look at what has just transpired, how over the last two months, three months, distribution has helped keep the global supply chain going. And they're what I call them the gearbox of that. Um, And I did a paper recently that's on our website called How Distributors Lead in Times of Crisis. If they didn't have those fundamental capabilities in place, those foundational capabilities that they could quickly deploy to, in, in these tough times, and they had to be built, the IT global supply chain would have stopped. It would have seized up. <laughs> we would have been in deep trouble. And we're not. And, you know, clearly there's issues and there always will be. But for the most part, uh, distributors have really helped keep that supply chain going and I'm proud of what they've done honestly and they should be too and and I think people you know really should recognize that uh, for what it is well I think that's a great endpoint. it's some good news if anybody's been watching John Krasinski's little YouTube show but at least we got to find some good news in in uh in this period of time that we're going through and uh, that's that's a, a great way to end things Frank and we really appreciate you joining the podcast today yeah, well, thank you for thank you for inviting me, and uh, I'll be happy to join. You know, anytime you want. Um, I, I first of all, I you know been doing this for quite some time, and it's I'm passionate about it. And um, you, you know, I think I think the more we talk to each other, and the more you get different perspectives, uh, the better off all of us are. So you let me know when I can help again, and I'll be happy to uh, participate. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. And hopefully we get a, a opening day soon. Absolutely. Thanks. See you all later. Bye-bye. All righty. All right, everyone take care.